Hi, everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, Episode 3. It's a movie podcast. Uh, I'm Autumn. I'm a little tipsy. Um, and I'm joined by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. Uh, Nia, uh, are you tipsy? Um, I'm a little bit tipsy. I think I've had significantly more to drink than you and might be slightly less tipsy than you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> We had to take an intermission uh, during the movie because my internet cut out. And while during the intermission, I poured myself a little tequila that I sipped. And then after the movie, in the five minutes between when the movie ended and when we hit record, I chugged a little more tequila. <laughs> so <laughs> I had two Wisconsin-style uh, old fashions uh, that were fairly large. And now I'm just having some whiskey on the rocks. So. Um... I didn't mean for this to be my new podcast thing, but I guess it is. <laughs> I just don't mix up any names this time. <sighs> so what did we Christ? watch today? <laughs> oh my god, I'm ending the podcast. <laughs> okay, bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining. <sighs> We watched Butch, Cast- blah, 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 Butch Casty and the Sundance Kid. Uh, more like Femme Casty with the two of us on here. <laughs> Am I right? Nineteen. Uh, I, 19- I mean, I think I'm the Butch one. Nineteen sixty nine film directed by George Roy Hill. No one cares about the director. What we're really here to see is Paul Newman and Robert Redford. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. This movie was such a hit that I think Paul Newman and Robert Redford did like two more movies together after this, <laughs> just because this is like a this movie was huge. <laughs> I mean, this movie was so huge that there is a film festival named after it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are, like, multiple reasons involved, mainly that Robert Redford's, like, company is involved in it, but still. <laughs> the movie that launched a salad dressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I'll, I'll do a summary in a second, but um, I guess, like, context for what this movie is, is that it is a, like, it is a western, it is, like, Kind of just a straight up and down, like, normal Western, I feel like. Released in 1969 after, like, you know, a couple of years of Italy getting big into Westerns and, um, you know, Westerns really falling out of fashion in the U.S. Um, and this is kind of a traditional Western and kind of a, like, looking back on a genre that is no longer popular 
Um, and it is like, to me, the beginning of like 70s movies because it's like 1969. Anyway. Yeah. Um, plot is pretty fucking easy. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid are guys who rob trains. Uh, that goes pretty well for them for a couple years. Uh, and then somebody decides, I don't want to get fucking robbed anymore. So he hires, um, these, uh, like, basically these six, like, lawmen who you only ever see in the distance and are basically the specter of death haunting, (laughs) um, uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford, um, Paul Newman and Robert Redford, like, spend a lengthy sequence trying to get away. They do. They go pick up. The other thing that's happening in this movie is that the both of them are dating the same woman. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, Robert Redford is is like canonically more dating her, but there's an extended date scene that also occurs. <laughs> yes, there are a couple date scenes, and like, yeah, it did. I think this is where we're going to spend a lot of the time discussing. <laughs> so we'll circle back to that in a second. Yeah. But basically, they go pick up their mutual girlfriend and they're like, hey, we're going to run away from these lawmen to Bolivia. And she's like, well, <laughs> she says, I'm 30, I'm a teacher, and I'm single. And you two are the only excitement I've ever had in my life. So I guess I'll come with you. <laughs> Doesn't she ever- say she's like 24 or something? Or like 26? <laughs> She, yeah, she says she's 26, I think. Yes. Um, and she said, she's like, this is the end of the line, and you two are the only excitement I've ever had. <laughs> um, I just like that she says that she's single when she's in, uh, fucking both of these men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, so they run away into a montage scene of, like, just real happy times and then um they go to bolivia to get away from the american lawmen uh and they're trying to recreate the good old days of just robbing banks and being dudes and they get this girl in and now she's robbing banks with them it's a great time and then the law catches up with them and she goes back to america and the lawmen kill uh uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and there's a really good freeze frame um, to which I said, "Eat your heart out, Francois Truffaut." <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I thought of with the the freeze frame here is just like a lot of, um, like wuxia and like a, a lot of those like kung fu action movies that would be coming out of China like around this time and a little bit before. Um, mm. where so many of them end on, like, here's just a freeze frame of, like, someone doing the final punch or, like, whatever. <laughs> um, I definitely okay. feel like that is a, also a poll happening here. Can I tell you something? So, and I think you just hit on an interesting point, and I want to circle back to it, but I want to make a point that's not very interesting real quick. Yeah. Um. So, like... We have a movie podcast. Um, do we I now? Feel like... Is that what this is? <laughs> we, we do. Um, I feel like if you want to do a movie podcast, you have to talk about some French movies sometimes because the French make a lot of very good movies, reportedly. Do they? Um, 
so this was the thing this is the thing that i was gonna say real quick just the, uh the 400 blows and breathless are maybe the two movies i hate most in this life and so <laughs> like i really hate those two movies and so like part of me in my head is i'm i was going through last night and i was like adding movies to the list of stuff we could cover um and i was like looking at like the I was looking at French movies because yesterday I watched Cleo from five to seven, which is an incredible movie. Yeah, and I was thinking about French movies we could talk about, and I was like, "Well, I hate Truffaut and I hate Godard, so I guess we're not <laughs> talking about any French movies except maybe Cleo from five to seven. <laughs> um, I think it's funny. What I find is funny is that like I think we're both aligned on there's probably not going to be a lot of French movies. Um, like I'm also not that big of a fan of French New Wave. Um, mm-hmm. and aside from like Agnes Varda, um, basically the two French New Wave films that I like are Breathless and Four Hundred Blows. <laughs> <laughs> um, I fucking hate Alphaville. I'm sorry if you like Alphaville. I think it's the stupidest fucking movie I've ever seen. I hate it so much. <laughs> um, yeah. But there are... I like I like in Breathless uh, when they're driving and someone keeps breaking in front of him and he says, cars are made for going, not stopping. Um, so I like Breathless. <laughs> <laughs> that, that line is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I've not seen 400 Blows in a long time. I might actually hate it now. I thought I was a boy when I watched that movie, so... (laughs) I did, too, but... um... (laughs) So, like, okay. The thing you were saying was about how this movie, you felt, was, like, pulling a little bit from, like... uh, Like... What did you say? What did you? What was the poll that you talked about? Sorry, I'm um, tipsy. Well, I, so like I, the freeze, the freeze frame in particular kind of reminded me of like I really associate it with like wuxia, like a lot of the the of this era kung fu movies that were coming out of like China and Hong Kong. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, to a slightly lesser degree, but so like a big thing that that really happened with the Western in particular is that there was like the original Western genre where you're going back to um, like, you know, I mean, it has its, like, roots in silent cinema, but then there was, like, also this, like, golden age of, of westerns. It was probably, like, you know, this is where you have, like, stagecoach and everything. Um, and those films went on to influence, like, especially, uh, Chanbara films that, like, you know, we talked last time about Akira Kurosawa um, mm-hmm. and really it was like his Jidaigeki his like Chambara his samurai films that came over to the west and got like the most traction here and I think a lot of uh, Japanese cinema especially in the very early days was like really pulling from that like period like this is a Jidaigeki this is about samurai uh, stuff um, and a lot of the stuff that didn't come over was like more of the modern stuff or it kind of did but it didn't like have that same traction and pull um, and a lot of that stuff actually like spaghetti Westerns are heavily influenced by stuff like Kurosawa. 
Um, mm. the, the really long drawn out, like here are people staring at each other. And then like, finally there's the, the release of the tension of they all shoot each other or whatever is like literally the way that fight scenes are, are choreographed in a lot of Chambara, but like applied to guns instead of swords. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think there's some influence on this. Like this movie is clearly, um, coming in the wake of like spaghetti Westerns as well. And this is one of the things when we were watching this I was talking about is like, I actually have a great deal of fondness for genre films like this, because I think, um, especially like for me, the Western in the US and then Yakuza films in particular in Japan are like two genres that got extremely highly codified um, early on in the history of cinema mm-hmm. in this way mm-hmm. that there's like been a lot that has come after it that is specifically... Like, there are just so many, like, here's the formula, here are the tropes, here's the, like, codified way that you make this genre that people can then do really interesting stuff with it, which can really, like, um, like, there's a bunch of different directions that you can go with that. Uh, you know, my main expertise in this is, like, Yakuza, so I'm going to pull from there here. But, like, mm-hmm. Tokyo Drifter is a film that is very specifically saying, this genre is so codified that I can reduce like the quote-unquote plot to like brief signifiers that just let you know like oh the girl is being kidnapped the girl is being like rescued here's the like showdown or whatever and i can like gesture at them so quickly that i can just focus on this like pure visual experience which is what i think tokyo drifter is really about is just like it is it is experimenting with just like the visual form of film um Mm -hmm. and then you can have something like you know, Battles Without is still very genre, but was, like, playing with the old formula in such a way that it, like, basically made a new formula. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But it was, like, doing it in an extremely different way. And I think, like, once something gets codified like that, or another big one, which is one that I always recommend with caveats, is the first Dead or Alive movie, because some truly heinous shit happens in that movie, but it's, like, specifically pulling on... um like the exploitation V cinema stuff that happened in Japan and like doing the exploitation V cinema and pulling on here are the like codified trips of the genre that make you care about it and think that this is like, like you are willing to sit through the scenes that are just like truly awful where people are in like a pool of poop or whatever. Um, because (laughs) there's this like plot that's constructed that you're invested in and you feel like is like, oh, this, like, film is still telling a story or whatever. And the entire point of Dead or Alive is that the ending, like, completely denies you any sort of satisfaction or closure to the... Like, it makes a joke of the entire movie itself in this way that, like, is supposed to frustrate you as a viewer um, and also make it so that you, like, no longer have any uh, deniability for, like, why you you cared about this movie when it was doing, like, the really exploitation stuff that exists in cinema. Um like, especially some of that V cinema stuff, which is, like, direct-to-video stuff in Japan. Um, I'm on a complete tangent right now, but I'm, like, this is what... Like, I was really enjoying this movie in particular because I feel like it could take... Here are the, like... Here's the formula of a Western. Here are the tropes. We can, like, gesture at these things, mm-hmm. and we can we can do them as much as we want to do them, and then we can also just have parts where, we're like, this is the Western Seventh Seal. <laughs> <laughs> a little um, bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> like uh, so um i don't 
I'm going to say stuff that, like, <laughs> I, I I assume our listeners would know. I assume if you're interested in a podcast that's going to talk about a, a Kurosawa film from 1946 and, and The Hunger and, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I'm going to say stuff that I assume that you know. <laughs> but just in case, like, movies start in the U.S. with this, like, highly industrialized regimented um studio system that's like very modeled after like you know how cars are produced with a division of labor and like 40 and stuff uh and in the late 50s and 60s that totally dissolves just totally falls apart but through like the the economics were not sustainable and the supreme court is like oh you've got a monopoly on blah 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 and all of that falls apart and the american film industry is like really spiraling for a couple years there um and in the 70s starts to put itself back together again and and the stuff that you get in that time where it's putting itself back together is like super interesting to me personally. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, Westerns uh, it, were mostly a product of the studio system. It's like there were, there were a couple Westerns that were very popular. And so then they made a zillion, jillion fucking, cause blah, so many Westerns for such a long time. And then they stopped and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, to me, is super interesting because it's, like, it's 1969 and, like, the American film industry is, like, in search of, like, big hits like they used to have. And, and you know, it is very much like, okay, how do we make a Western after, like, after the studio system has fallen apart, after, um, you know these French New Wave people uh, uh, got very popular and uh, Kurosawa had some success in the U.S. And, like, how do you make a Western when American films have not been very popular for a very long time and the only people who are making interesting Westerns are some fucking Italians who are shooting (laughs) stuff for, like, pennies in Spain and then ADRing every line? Like, how do you do this? Um, And the answer is... One, you kind of, like, play around a little bit with, like, formalist stuff that um, French New Wave people were doing. Like, you you dabble in that a little bit, a tiny little bit, by you, you know, you cut in, like, anachronistic 60s pop songs into scenes um, and circus music <laughs> in one scene. We should yeah. circle back to the circus music in a second. <laughs> Um, one of the ways you do that is that you get two of the hottest men of the decade, uh, possibly ever, <laughs> and you yeah. just let them act off of each other for 90-some minutes, and that's amazing. That's great. That's- <laughs> I just want to interject here, because yeah. so you, you've made it known that, like, Paul Newman is is, like, your guy here. And I think for a lot of people, like Robert Redford is like the the more classically like that's the hot guy. Mm-hmm. I think both of them have different attractiveness, and I just want to like put forth like this this is what we landed on when we were watching this movie that canonically within this movie, 
Robert Redford has that good dick. Yes. And, like, I think that, like, also embodies of, like, Robert Redford just is good to look at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Paul mm-hmm. Newman has, like, a charisma and a magnetism and, like, a charm to him that I think transcends beyond just, like, what Robert Redford has. Um, and so that's, like, the the, the thing that is contrasting between them and why Paul Newman, I think, is ultimately, like, more of the heartthrob for me as well here. <laughs> Even though so, Robert Redford, Robert Redford does have that good dick, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's established in the film. Like, yeah, I'm just saying we, canonically within the film. <laughs> canonically within the film, also, like, let's just you know, let's just be honest here for a moment. Is that if I walked into my home? And I saw a guy who I had, who this was okay with. We had, you know, been fooling around some, and this was, like, established as, like, a thing that we could do. And he was just sitting in my bedroom waiting for me and pointed a gun at me and told me to strip. That would be all right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Robert Redford does that in this movie, which is the scene where they establish that he's got the good dick. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it is a it is a very awkward scene because you as the viewer do not know that this is like what seems to actually be consensual play that they have mm-hmm. <laughs> um, until finally it's like just revealed. But the, mm-hmm. there's a long period of time where you're just like, are are they doing this? Um, yeah, because <laughs> this okay. So there's two thoughts. One, this happens. Okay. The scene right before this happens, this is where we are introduced to Catherine Ross, who, uh, Catherine Ross's character, who is uh, the person that Paul Newman and Robert Redford are both fucking. Yeah, the <laughs> third person in the, the triad polycule that they're all in. Yes. Um, this is the scene where we're introduced to her. In the scene before this, uh, Paul Newman starts fooling around with um, this other woman, uh, just like some random woman he meets at the saloon, yeah. and instantly, up, within half of a second of Robert Redford seeing this, he's like really grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> he's in a bad fucking mood. Yeah, and there's literally just there's no other way to read this than jealousy. Like, yeah, he's just like muttering under his voice, like blah blah blah, you know. <laughs> And and so he sees Paul Newman getting with this just random two bit, you know, whatever. Yeah, I read I read this scene as a like specific thing too, as being like because there's the the like older woman who came out who like gave me the vibes of like a mademoiselle and this is like a brothel or something, and so that was like some sex worker. Yes, for sure. Um, and so. He starts fooling around with her. Robert Redford, in a fit of jealousy, storms off and goes and has sex with this other woman. Yeah. And then... The next morning. (laughs) The next morning, Robert Redford Redford and Catherine Ross wake up in the same bed and she goes on a date and and Paul Newman is riding around outside the house on his new bicycle. (laughs) (laughs) That he literally found out about the night before. The night before he's... The night before, he's watching some guy sell bikes. 
And he was like, oh, bike, that seems cool. <laughs> he, he buys a bicycle. He goes to the house and he starts riding around. And I, I've seen this movie a couple years ago, so I kind of forgot how this goes a little bit. <laughs> what happens is that then Catherine Ross gets up out of bed, puts on clothes, and goes on a date with Paul Newman, where he impresses yeah. her with like bicycle tricks. Like he does the Superman. He like, you know, <laughs> rides around without like, oh, I'm not touching the handles. Oh, I'm standing up on the seat. Like <laughs> So apparently he spent all night practicing his bike tricks. Yeah. I I my theory for this scene is that um so throughout this movie, Paul Newman doesn't seem to be very good at riding a horse. And part of me is like, I feel like people on the crew were like razzing him so much for not being good at riding a horse, and he was like, Hey, I'm really good at riding a bike. I even know bicycle tricks, and then they just put that in the movie. <laughs> It's incredible. <laughs> and then they go back to the house and Robert Redford is there and he's like, oh, hey, guys. And he's totally fine with them being on a date. And she's like, um, but don't like, you think? <laughs> yeah, he's you like joking about it in the way that you might joke about, like, I am fine with you being on a date, but this is just how we're being bratty with each other. <laughs> yes, yes. Like... <laughs> So, so uh, people probably know this if they listen to the podcast. I don't think I'm shocking anybody. Um, Nora and I are polyamorous. We are both involved with Molly. <laughs> um, and Whoa, the day really? we got married, <laughs> the day we got married, we were joking about how Molly is cucking both of us. Now it's essentially <laughs> that same joke. <laughs> yeah. That is like the that is like the level that. Um, like they're operating on and and she's like she has a moment where she's like well butch you think if i met you before i met sundance um we'd be together and he's like we are together <laughs> i don't know what you mean <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it's just um and this this like continues to be the text of the film like not even subtext mm -hmm. like when so they're being chased by the specters of death and they like finally escape and return to her okay. she like goes to hug them both at the same time yes <laughs> and it's then not... has dinner ready for both of them yes so it's not because in my head as i remembered this scene i was like oh right I think she hugs one of them first, and this is one of the, like, causes of jealousy between these two. These two feel a lot of jealousy toward each other. It's not yeah. ever once because of how she treats them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're on equal footing in this sort of trio relationship. Yeah. They montage through, like, the specter of death haunts them. I... <laughs> I can't stress this enough. It is literally like the seventh seal of yeah. like Western <laughs> movies because you don't ever see the lawmen chasing them. It's just like they're off in the distance, always chasing you. They don't seem to sleep or eat. They just go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there's like moments where like they're commenting out of like, oh, yes, yeah, so a white 
straw hat or whatever and you're like i can't even see it on the fucking film (laughs) are you sure you can tell that there's a white straw hat um but they they find some temporary reprieve from the specter of death haunting them and they montage through this vacation in new york that they do yeah and like in the vacations in the vacation montage you see like it's a really cool thing they do like these sepia toned like photos of various things happening on this vacation and like you see them go on like an amusement park ride where it's like spinning them all around and at the end of the of the ride they're all three in like a pile together <laughs> or like the very last moment of the montage is like Paul Newman dances with Catherine Ross for a little bit and then he goes to sit down and Robert Redford takes a dance and then like so there's a lot of jealousy in the relationship but she's dancing with both of them that's not yeah. the issue the issue is that Paul Newman sits down and some of the photos are of Paul Newman clearly looking at Robert Redford like <laughs> yeah that's who he is looking at in the photo there's no other way to read it than he is watching Robert Redford dance with this woman and thinking to himself I want to dance with her, but he can't say that because this movie is also about how men are fundamentally incapable of saying anything to each other. <laughs> yeah, I think the the like closest you didn't bring up the beach photo where yes, um, the beach photo. Yeah. <laughs> Please describe this beach photo. The beach, and I might be misremembering because I think I was like, I think I glanced away to like. Uh, I think this might have been when I spilled my coffee or something and I had to go grab a paper towel. But I saw this and it's like Paul Newman is like stretched out on a beach towel and, and Catherine Ross is like nearby, like like two feet away. And meanwhile, Robert Redford is like right up next to him and has like his hand not in his hair, but like next to his hair like oh babe you've got some sand in your hair let me get that out for you (laughs) yeah (laughs) but like the whole like a thing that becomes pointed throughout this as well is like whenever like the longer that they've been apart from her and they can like both fuck her and through that like have some sense that they are fucking each other the Mm -hmm. more like grumpy they get with each other because they just won't like finally just fuck each other which is clearly what they want to do the the scene so i think their their happiest days are in this new york montage i think the scene that we see like these two actors together in a scene where they are happiest is um robert redford and katherine ross are literally fucking <laughs> they're literally fucking and katherine ross bangs on the wall <laughs> and is like hey paul newman you awake in there and he's like yep <laughs> and she quizzes him on some like spin because she's been teaching them spanish for bank robbers <laughs> starts quizzing him on like how do you say this is a robbery how do you say put your hands up <laughs> while fucking robert redford <laughs> Yeah, and this is, I think, the scene where the two men are happiest in the entire film <laughs> is her talking to him while fucking him. 
Um, this is a moment where I'm going to bring back everyone's favorite segment from the first episode that I just mm-hmm. didn't do for No Regrets for Our Youth because um, I did still look up articles. I did do my bit. Um, I love the like derision in your voice when you say you do your bit in that in that recording. Um, <laughs> But I didn't do it for No Regrets for Our Youth because there, like, really just isn't much. And most of it is what I talked about, which is just like, oh, this is early Kurosawa. And, like, here's what it means as early Kurosawa. Um, Because people don't care about that movie other than it's early Kurosawa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And most of the time it's talked about in regards to No Regret or in regards to um, One Wonderful Sunday, which is the other romance film he did right after No Regrets for Our Youth. And is also like far more just a straight romance. But I I did pull three articles here. Um, I will send these to you so you can also look at them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll send them one at a time. Um, So I I just want to like illustrate the way that people talk about movies, I think, has moved over time. So this first one I'm sending to you was first published in 1987 and it's called Gilgamesh and the Sundance Kid, the myth of male friendship. Uh, The abstract here says this chapter is concerned with the content uh, and persistence of the stereotype of male friendship and its relation to the realities of modern life. It argues that the myth persists because it provides an ideology that enhances the idea of friendship between men. The stereotype of male friendship has been made familiar through repetition in a large body of literary materials from modern Western cultures and their antecedents. The image of male friendship closely parallels that of romantic love and, you know, kind of continues on from there, but uh, talks about how like both idealize a dyadic relationship um, and set expectations of undying loyalty, devotion, and intense emotional gratification. So here in 1987, they're saying like, this is about male friendship and male friendship closely parallels that of romantic love. I'm going to send you now. This one doesn't have an abstract. It's just um, like, this is the full essay. This um, is uh butch.pdf. <laughs> yes. This is very funny. <laughs> so this one was published in 2009. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to read the very start. It's a fairly short essay, but I haven't read it all. Uh, There's an overwhelming emptiness to this movie. The humor doesn't mitigate the emptiness, but exposes the human propensity for ignoring death in order to forestall it. Butch and Sundance know they're doomed, but they can't face it, so they crack jokes to hide their pain. They reveal no affection for each other, nor for Etta, at least not in words. They can't say anything loving, but their actions reveal the truth. First of all, the fact that these two men could share Etta... Sundance claims her physically, Butch claims her spiritually. Without envy or strife is a huge indicator of how tight they really are. Butch is the brain, Sundance is the brawn. Butch is an innovator, Sundance likes uh, a sure thing. Butch reconciles, Sundance confronts. Butch is loquacious, Sundance is taciturn. Butch is kind, it can, uh, but can get rough. And Sundance is cruel, or at least acts that way. Together they make a dynamite team, but they're even better as friends. I feel like this is starting to push a little bit more towards these dudes mm-hmm. could be fucking <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now four years later i'm gonna send you the, the last one here <laughs> um outlaws buddies and lovers the sexual politics of calamity jane and butch cassidy and the sundance kid <laughs> <laughs> this article talks a, a lot more about calamity jane um than it does or at least the abstract than it is about butch cassidy and the sundance kid um but 
I, I'll just do a little bit here of, you know, they're saying initially they seem to have little in common, except as variations of the Western genre. One is a lighthearted musical Western that results in the heterosexual marriage of its two protagonists, while the other tells the story of two outlaws on the run and their eventual demise. However, there are connections between them, not only in their musical content, blah, 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 but also in their homosocial and homoerotic undertones that pervade both films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think this is a, a good illustration of the, the way that, you know, the discussion of these things ha- ha- has progressed. <laughs> I um. I remember um, it, 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 it was before, because my last year of college, I took like film 101 and film 201 and these sorts of things because I just needed to fill credit hours for my scholarship and I'd done most of the things that i um needed to graduate so it wasn't for that but it was earlier i don't remember what it would have been for i don't i don't remember what it would have been for but i remember in my like freshman or sophomore year of college reading an article for some class about um you know um the french cop and rick in casablanca um have kind of a homosocial relationship and let's talk about how men's are men are friends and how it kind of resembles a homosexual relationship blah 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 and i was like that's not what casablanca is about casablanca is about you know blah 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 and now i if you if we watch casablanca tonight which i'm always game to do casablanca is one of my favorite movies um i'd be like it's great oh the movie ends with rick and that french cop fuck it (laughs) Um, this is one of my favorite things about watching movies with you, which is that both of us will just always be like, oh, they fucking. This has become a thing that is expected of us to such a degree that when we watch No Regrets for Our Youth, um, Emily's often usually watching the movie as well, but like far less focused because um, she just doesn't like movies like this nearly as much. Mm -hmm. And it's usually like working on some sort of fabric arts project during it. Uh, but there was a part where she looked up and it was the part at the end with the mom and um, Yukie and they were like working in the fields and Emily just said like, oh, are they going to become lesbians now? And I was just like, I love that this is what you think of us. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is incredibly straight, but <laughs> I'm glad you know us well enough. <laughs> But also, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, I was going to say they fucking, but as we've gone over, pointedly they are not fucking, and that is like the main tension in the film, is that they yes. really should just be fucking, they want to be fucking. <laughs> <laughs> if they were fucking, they would have so much fewer problems, you know? They might not even die at the end, if they were fucking. <laughs> <laughs> the, the last scene of this movie is really incredible, because like... They're, they've both taken bullets. They're surrounded by hundreds, maybe a hundred. Like, they're su- surrounded by many, many, many dudes with guns from all angles. And these two guys are so incapable of, like, <laughs> expressing any emotion toward each other that, like, they're like... <laughs> They're just doing jokes at each other that they've done a hundred times, like, like a, a, a dozen times of this movie. 
Butch is like, oh, we're going to enlist and we're going to go to the war. And, and Sundance, or, yeah, and Sundance is like, you just keep thinking, Butch. That's what you're good at. And that's like his line. Every time Butch gets an idea in his head, he says, you just keep thinking, Butch. That's what you're good at. And he doesn't say the line here, but, like, he might as well. Like, that's what yeah. they're doing. They're doing the routine <laughs> that you've seen them do a dozen times. And they're so, like utterly incapable of just saying to each other for one moment like you mean a lot to me i value the relationship that we have let alone like expressing that like there is so much sexual tension that they're expressing <laughs> this is the other thing that i was gonna like so the thing i was saying earlier about like if you're making a western in 1969 you look at like stuff that's happening in international cinema and you crib from that and you put together like two of the most charismatic actors. The other thing that you that you crib from is because it's 1969 and I listen, I don't know much about 1969, but I know that everybody like everybody's like, "Oh, free love was like the thing and like people were yeah. just fucking and like Woodstock and whatever." And like that's what this movie is. Like this movie is about people just fucking. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um it's also cuz cuz so much of like the whole free love thing too is this weird tension of like if you look at a lot of the the hippie culture stuff and like what free love meant broadly and then like how it became uh condensed was like mm-hmm. specifically towards this like very heterosexual form of free love and not yes. like this actually true broad form of free love which is also just like what this movie is about <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like again, mm-hmm. they can both fuck the same woman. They just can't fuck each other. Which, like, I just because we we joked about like I made a joke about this. Like, one of the, so they go and they meet up with Etta after they've been like being chased by uh, these lawmen, and the way they rationalize it to her is like, oh, well, if we left and we started traveling people would see two men traveling together and they'd get suspicious. But if they saw two men traveling with a woman, no one would care. And my response to that is like, well, obviously you're just rationalizing, you know, like you clearly just want to bring her along because she's an important part of the relationship that you have and that you two care about her a lot. Um, But the other thing is like, so somebody's going to ask like, oh, like, which one of you is married to her and who's the other guy? Why is the other guy here? <laughs> it's not like two men traveling with a woman is any more socially accessible, acceptable than two men traveling together in the 19th century. Now, maybe in 1969, that's more socially acceptable, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the other thing that... So last time you were like we're going to watch a gay cowboy movie and we're going to do the undefeated champion of gay cowboy movies. And I was, when you said that, I was like, I feel like there's another one who might be a contender, uh, which is midnight cowboy, which I have not seen that. Yeah. So I, I went to then put it in our spreadsheet and found out it was literally the same year. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> clearly. So the, the thing with midnight cowboy is that it focuses on, uh, these two, like, hustlers basically and that the friendship that develops between them um and so one of them is the con man who is um enrico i forget like his his last name but he's played by dustin hoffman um and then the other one is john voight playing joe buck who is a male sex worker 
Um, mm-hmm. And there's like, so it, it is this is one of these films that like I often see talked about now as being like, oh, that movie was like homophobic and is like problematic. And that's just that's just us, baby. <laughs> that's our kind of movie. <laughs> I, I don't remember. I thought of it earlier today, and then I circled back to it just before we hit record. We were going to watch Cruising at some point on this podcast. <laughs> like, yeah, I I don't know much about that movie. I know it's very problematic and very uncomfortable. Uh, we we're going to watch that movie, and I think we're going to eat that shit up. <laughs> problematic gay content. Name of the group chat. <laughs> Um, the thing is that, uh, Dustin Hoffman in 1969 is absolutely, like, unbeatable. One of the greatest actors to ever grace, like, the planet Earth. Like, Dustin Hoffman from, like, 1965 to, like, 1975. Just, you don't get any better, I don't think. Um, he really loses it at some point. Like, I don't think he stays that guy forever. But uh, (laughs) Um, Straw Dogs is a great movie. Um... All the President's Men is one of my favorite movies. Um, I don't. I think it. I. I don't know if I told you this. Um, the the movie that my parents saw on their first date was Tootsie, a movie where Dustin <laughs> Hoffman is. A movie where Dustin Hoffman um, is playing like a Mrs. Doubtfire character, uh, and I'm just tickled by that every time I remember it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We'll we'll have to watch Midnight Cowboy at some point. I don't think right away. Um, no, no. Yeah, we're we've we're got, gonna keep we've got this a varied, things lined up. <clears throat> we do. Um, I'm trying to, I feel like I had something else that I was gonna say about this movie, and it's like escaping me right now. I do too, and I feel like I should have solicited questions because I feel like maybe. <laughs> I feel like maybe this is a movie we'd get some questions for. Hopefully, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I. I forgot about it once again. I keep meaning to ask on the podcast of like, do we have questions? Do we ask for questions? <laughs> we have it? not asked for questions yet. Um, I'll do that. Uh, remind me and I'll do it at the end of the podcast once we've announced our next film. So, yeah. Um, people know the email. Yeah. Export audio podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Even if we don't solicit questions, just feel free to throw them in. We announce what the movie is. <laughs> yeah export audio podcast gmail.com if you have questions about the first three movies we've covered please go ahead just hit us up um if you have questions about from cleo from five to seven hit us up that movie's great <laughs> <laughs> i just watched it last night for no reason <laughs> yeah i extremely need to watch that movie again um, um i i added it long. to the list i'm like i could watch that again next week i i feel great <laughs> about that movie to be honest i don't I, it's not our next movie but i don't even think it's like our i don't think we have it in our I next mean, four movies in my head but um hey i could choose it you could you could <laughs> i like we didn't talk about this but i like this system we've got where you pick one and i pick one and you pick one and i pick one yeah so do we ha- I I feel like I also had one more thing I wanted to say about Butch Cassidy and I just cannot think of it. Um, um I mean it is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Movies it's funny just also. Be, it's just yeah, really funny. It, 
it's incredibly funny. Um, I was not expecting it to be as funny as it is. I didn't remember. This did remind me of something that I I wanted to mention, which is that I feel like there are a lot of like Marvel movies that would have an explosion and try and do it as part of like a joke, but that would still Mm -hmm. be so concerned with making the explosion like really really cool. And the explosion that happens that is the punchline of a joke in this movie is still impressive. It's a big explosion. And yet they like, it really is just the joke of the giant explosion. Like they just pull it off as a joke. And that is movies. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> movies would I... not literally blow up a train car. It's <laughs> There's no way that you could like, they don't have CG to do an explosion. They literally blew up a fucking train car with like pieces flying by people. <laughs> for a joke (laughs) (laughs) like because the thing i said to you was like you just had to do that and you had to like hope that the camera got it right the first time because i don't think Mm -hmm. you can do a second take i i I don't know about you i'm not adding second train car and more dynamite to the budget for my movie if i'm the producer on this movie um And you also just have to hope that no one gets hurt because you could see actors in the shot. (laughs) Yeah. People. And you just had to hope that OSHA didn't find out (laughs) that you blew up a train car with people there. There's like large shards of wood flying past people. It's it's wild. Um, Although you saying that also reminded me, like there are also moments in this movie that just feel so clearly like... They just had good actors and mm-hmm. like the, everybody working on the movie knew what they were doing in such a way that they could sometimes just have improvised stuff happen in a way that like feels genuine. The The two big moments that stand out to me is there's a part where they're like walking and there's just a bunch of like pollen, I guess. Like there's just like <laughs> big white things flying through the air um, that seem like it's like something coming off of trees. Um, and Catherine just like briefly catches one. And then let's go of it in a way mm-hmm. that's like, you couldn't stage that. No. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. just like likely just a decision that she made while acting. And the other one that made me laugh really hard is there's a part when they first get to Bolivia um, and just Sundance is like the fucking grumpiest. Like I've been there <laughs> on like a, a vacation. Like you've been on a really long trip and like, this happened the first time I we went to Iceland. I went with my brother, and we uh, spent most of the time in Reykjavik, and then we went to Akureyri, and uh, it was just, like, a... The bus ride, the, like, view was great, but it was just, like, a very long bus ride, and when you have limited time in a country, you don't want to spend most of it on a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were trying to get to the, like... Um, guest house that we were staying at and it turned out that it was like way further away than we thought like my brother had like booked it on the phone um and so we're just like walking like three miles up a fucking hill because akarari is like literally built on the side of a mountain um and so we're like climbing up for just miles and i just like got so fucking grumpy um because it was just like i want to be like enjoying the being here and not like fucking climbing up a fucking hill um (laughs) and this is just fully what sundance is on sundance is just like 
I want to be like having fun with you. Like we had our whole Coney Island date. That was great. And now I'm here and there's just like fucking chickens and like, you know, goats. <laughs> and there's just like nothing here. Like this, this train stop just dropped us off in the like middle of fucking nowhere. And I'm just pissed off about it. And there's a part where like, it seems very clear that Robert Redford just stumbles over some debris on the ground and just kicks it with such anger. <laughs> And that also felt very, like, just genuinely improvised of, like, he is embodying this character. The character, like, he stumbled on it and just immediately kicked it, and it actually made that scene better. (laughs) For me, um, there's, so there's a scene, um, there's a couple scenes where, uh, the, the gang gets the idea this is like kind of like the first act, I guess. The gang gets the idea, like, we're going to rob this train and then uh, on its way out somewhere. And then on its way back, they're ne- they're not going to think we're going to rob the same train twice. We'll rob the same train twice <laughs> in one. Uh, and, and so they meet a guy who's like, who's on the train, in the car, with the money. And his name is Woodcock, which made me laugh. <laughs> And so one of my other favorite movies ever is Cool Hand Luke, um, which is primarily a movie where somebody points a camera at Paul Newman and says, make magic happen. And he does it like (laughs) like Paul Newman, just like you just put like 12 great actors around him and he's just going to like make up a script as he goes, basically. Uh, He's just being kind of a shit and just doing stuff it's great um and paul newman kind of gets into that mode here as he's talking to woodcock and like it feels to me like somebody it feels to me like there's a camera in the train car and there's a camera um outside where paul newman's at um and they just go and like they just tell him like all right paul just like you and this like you know, kind of funny guy that we saw in an audition who's like a no-name actor. Like, you two just bounce off each other for 10 minutes and we'll just cut the funniest parts. And here's a couple lines, but we trust you. Just figure it out. And, yeah. like, Paul Newman is such an amazing, like, snake oil salesman. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, part of why this, like, was so joyous for me as well is that as someone who, like, had some training in making, like, movies, um, what I found so exciting was the weird randomness that happens because there's just, like, even a small student film, you still have, like, multiple people involved and you just, like, have to deal with, like, what is the weather? What is the lighting? Like, what is going to happen? Um you can't control everything in the same way that you can with certain other art forms. Mm -hmm. And that is part of what is actually like really exciting and fun was really exciting and fun for me about making films. And it's also why like I leaned towards documentary stuff more as I went on because I found it like particularly exciting to just be like, no, I'm just like recording real life and trying to like make sense of this in a film. Um, And so, but I just feel like, if you watch a lot of films right now, um, especially like big Hollywood films, which this was also like a big film at the time. And this is why this like distinction is important to me. Um, 
I feel like stuff is just so highly controlled. Um, like if you look at like the whole stuff with the Snyder cut and the original cut and like the amount of work that goes into like reshooting entire scenes and everything because they're like trying to hyper control it. Uh, there's mm-hmm. so much like it is on a green screen and then they are creating like most of the film around these human actors that they're almost using as like parts, like as just the additional things that you're moving around and like the digital movie that you're making. Um, it like l- becomes sterilized for me in this way where it just loses the joy of Robert Redford kicking a fucking piece of debris <laughs> because it's there <laughs> or, you know, just like the, the improvised banter that is like clearly occurring um, throughout parts of this movie and it is kind of just being allowed to have happen. And the, like, obviously there's some editing that's probably happening. There might be multiple takes and yet it still does not feel like, it feels like people are actually just bantering and it's like funny because people are just bantering and not, these are like the jokes that we tell because this is how we make movies now. Um, and again, this is like a very specific type of movie, but part of me is trying to hit on like, why do I just, really not like a lot of mainstream movies right now (laughs) why Mm -hmm. am i so uninspired by them um and it's like it's lost some of this just like joy of you know we were also commenting on just the joy of like this is like literal light that hit a film like yes that hit like light reactive chemicals that are smeared onto plastic and it's like creating this image and there's film grain and I'm not saying that digital movies cannot also look beautiful or interesting, but like they just don't have the same quality and there's a certain joy to like mm-hmm. physical film. Yes. <laughs> it's just I'm hard a, to reproduce. I I'm not here to be like shaking like yell old man yells a cloud yeah. being like digital is inherently worse than film. What I am here to say is that digital cannot or cannot yet maybe i don't know i i don't know enough about this like but digital has not yet replicated certain qualities of like physical film that just really look beautiful to me just like there's just stuff that like you know film as a physical thing can do that um you know digital cannot do yet um and that's important you know to me yeah um, and I, like, I wish I had better examples, right, like, off the top of my head. Um, but I, I do feel like there are, th- there are ways that people can, like, utilize digital in ways that are interesting or, like, are actually taking advantage of what that offers. But I think some of it, too, is that there's just, like, digital is cheaper, but people are still often trying to make, like, physical film on digital and not... Yes actually leaning into what's unique or the way that they're leading into it is just this like highly constructed like marvel everything is mm-hmm. computer generated um that is just not interesting to me in the same way especially in like the way that it's presented i think there are still ways that you could do that that's interesting um mm-hmm. the only episode of uh adventure time that i've seen and that i love a lot is the 3d animated one <laughs> but it's doing really interesting things with 3d animation because it's david o'reilly although unfortunately he's an nft dude so fuck him now i guess um, <laughs> um one of the ugliest movies i've ever seen in my entire life was um 
Lincoln, the 2012 Spielberg film. Oh my god. Um, because it is a digital film that is so desperately trying to convince you it is conv- it is shot on real film, uh, yeah. and it's not. It is not, <laughs> and it is ugly as sin. Um, yeah. you know, uh, never mind that it tries to turn uh, the Civil War into like an episode of The West Wing. Like you know, that's just what it is. But like, it is an ugly fucking movie. <laughs> well, um, I'm like. Part of this, too, for me is just, like, like I worked at an analog video archive, which means that it's, like, you know, the main analog format that people know is VHS, but it also includes things like Betamax, U-Matic, um, old reel-to-reel, but it's, like, all, like, magnetic tape, basically. Uh, we also did a little bit of DV, which is, like, the digital video tape. Um, uh, high 8, I think think was analog but was was like starting to move towards some of the digital stuff hi it's a really finicky format um and so i worked with a lot of the stuff and there was like very interesting stuff that was playing with like what can analog tape do um mm-hmm. that's very exciting and and i think you know also a lot of it was documentary and part of what was so exciting about that is like the porta pack was one of the first um like it was a reel-to-reel video and so it was literally like a giant tape deck that you were carrying like on your shoulder and then a camera and then you had a separate sound person so it was really not that portable but compared to like film it was still fairly Mm -hmm. portable and it was also a lot cheaper and so basically like these art collectives could buy it um and you know you could also like record over so if you had like a really bad like you know, take or whatever, you could just record over the, the like bad tape. Um, it was fine. I mean, obviously quality would degrade after a while, but, um, and so part of what was also really exciting about it is that it was like this more democratized, like it was easier for people to access and start producing, um, their own video and like start doing documentary work that was outside of mainstream news, uh, sources. Um, And so there's, like, a lot of exciting stuff that was happening with that. And I feel like there's also exciting things that happens with digital video. And I just don't know, like, I don't think it's happening in Hollywood cinema. They're not the people who are doing exciting things with it. And I spent a lot of time really learning and doing a bunch of stuff with analog video. And so I can like really go into, you know, like I think a lot of V cinema also is doing like digital video and analog video. It's like direct to tape stuff in Japan. And a lot of that stuff is also really exciting. And I think is like playing with the strengths of the medium in interesting ways. Mm -hmm. And part of it is just like, for various reasons, I was getting less interested in cinema as like, the modern digital like high def camera films were really taking off and becoming Mm -hmm. what the like standard was in um a lot of cinema and so my main exposure to it has been like marvel movies and i just yes i can't i can't care about it um so part of me is like dear dear listener if there are some really great interesting digital like movies that have come out recently feel free to like, let us know about them. I'm, I'm interested in this. I don't want to be old man that that yells at cloud either. (laughs) Yeah, Um, no, I think I I just want to say that Marvel sucks. (laughs) I think that's the place that we're at is that like, there, there are moments in like, it's 
hundred year history that like Hollywood films really interest me, you know? Um, I definitely think the sixties and seventies are part of it. I, I, the eighties and nineties a little bit too. It's just that like the last 15 years of Hollywood movies are really fucking dire. And like the switch to digital is just one part of why, (laughs) but I don't think it's because digital is inherently lesser as a format. I think it's just that like nobody has cared to like, do anything interesting because there's no money to be made in that <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> um anyway we've gone on a complete tangent do we so the other thing i realized while we were tangenting is the mm-hmm. other thing i wanted to talk about is something that actually ties into the the ultimate segment of uh this podcast which is rating stairwells um, can i i had one very like very brief last old man yells at cloud thing okay (laughs) there was a there was a um article that went around uh, or a story that went around last year maybe two years ago whenever hobbs and shaw came out about how who are the guys in hobbs and shaw i don't remember um um hobbs and shaw uh jason statham and the rock um like there was a story that went around about how neither of them, like, wanted to lose, basically, because, like, as actors, like, part of the ways that you get paid is people thinking you're cool, and so neither of them wanted to lose in a fight because n- nobody, <laughs> this is so dumb, but basically it's like, well, I'm Jason Statham, and I can't be so- seen losing a fight in a film because that will affect my brand as an actor yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> um, and there was just a really tiny moment um in this movie where i think robert redford and paul newman like are are jumping out of a window to get away from the cops and i think robert redford it could be paul newman like falls over and like takes a nasty little roll and it's just like you would not see that yeah (laughs) that is not the take that would ever be used in a modern movie (laughs) it was just it's just really cute when he falls i i'm i'm not saying that they aren't portrayed as cool at moments throughout this movie but they're also portrayed as like goofy dorks sometimes yes yes and in a way that is like not hyper manufactured to be endearing but it's just like genuinely endearing (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyway what were you gonna say um stairwells so there's not a lot in here um no and i was talking about it and part of it is like Westerns are so focused on the landscape of, like, the American Southwest in particular. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're out in the landscape, there's not really a lot of stairwells. But what there are (laughs) are mountains that you can climb and then jump off of waterfalls. And so Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. our actual stairwell scene here is when they are trying to escape from... Uh, the specters of death and they they Mm -hmm. climb up a mountain and then robert redford has to admit to his boyfriend that he doesn't know how to swim um and then they jump off (laughs) (laughs) um and i i think it's robert redford who shouts shit while they fall Um, yeah (laughs) yeah it's a great scene Um, 
we did get a couple other small stairwells here that are are actual stairwells, but yeah, none of them were were particularly, you know. We enjoyed the one where they're fleeing from the bank in Bolivia, um, and I think it's Robert Redford runs down the stairs and Paul Newman just jumps off the side. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. But like you've yeah. seen, if you've watched a western, you've seen those stairs. You know the kind of like. I don't know that it's cement because I don't know if this is like a, I don't know if they used cement in like the 19th century Southwest and Bolivia, but like, it looks like cement or stone. It's just like, there's no handrail. It It's like only wide enough for one person and it's short enough for one person to jump down. Like it's a, it is stairs, but that's not really what it, it's just kind of stairs. You know, it's not. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think the closest thing we're gonna get to like what we mean when we talk about a stairwell scene is these two are arguing about jumping off a waterfall and Robert Redford having to admit he doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> um, um so how are we grading this waterfall here? So are we doing the waterfall as the thing that we're rating? I think we're rating the waterfall. I like I you go you go um so I want to award them for ingenuity a little bit for like you know a, a new twist on the form but what I don't want to reward necessarily is that like you only really get one good shot of the waterfall and then when they're jumping, you don't see the waterfall. You just see them and the open sky because they've positioned the camera pretty low. You don't... I... You didn't really get a good, nice, long look at the waterfall as they considered, you know, the ramifications for their life if they descended here. And so I don't think... It, uh, it, it's close to what we what we're looking for here, but I, I don't think they quite hit the mark on like what a good stairwell scene means to us, you know? Yeah. There's also a part of it for me too. That's like, I do appreciate the ingenuity. Like they found a way to do a stairwell scene in like the landscape of, you know, the American Southwest here, Mm -hmm. but there's a certain amount of like, listen, I really appreciate what you're doing there a lot of work went into this and I still want to reward that, mm-hmm. but I did still set a brief for you and you like <laughs> very intentionally deviated from that brief in a way that I'm like, the brief was still to do stairwells though. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. I, I can't give you an A for this. I do really see the, like what you did here, but I like on principle, I cannot give you an A for this because you didn't do a stairwell. <laughs> yeah the only so, other stairwell in the movie like they just quickly run up like yeah th- well there's there's the ones outside the bank and then there's one inside the saloon um that like they just quickly run up some stairs like that doesn't count that's not what we mean yeah you know yeah the this other is the like, scene that fits the brief but like yeah the one other thing that i noticed was there's a part when they're talking about going to bolivia where uh catherine goes out and sits on the stoop and there's like a few steps, but that's not a stairwell. That's a stoop. Mm-hmm. Or stoop scenes are important. Yeah, lots of great movies have great stoop scenes. 
But that's different I was gonna from say, stairwell. I don't know scene. what non-Chicagoans call stoops, but um, I know what stoop. you mean by a stoop. Yeah, <laughs> we we have one outside our apartment, and I would probably look at it and be like, I guess it's a stoop. I don't really know. I I don't have a good word for that because being from Kansas, like, I guess I would call that a porch. Yeah. Whereas but, like, here the in thing Chicago, we my have apartment stoop is culture. not a. The thing outside of my apartment is not a a, a porch. It's a stoop. You know? Yeah, it's a stoop. <laughs> it's a stoop. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So yeah, like I can't do an A here. No. I'm I'm maybe leading toward a B minus here. Yeah. Um, which would make it like better than No Regrets for Our Youth, but not as good as The Hunger. That makes sense. Yeah. Although. Hmm. Yeah, I think. It's either like in line with no regrets for a youth or I could see like a step above. I could even I could be convinced to do a B plus, but I'm really just like you didn't give me a stairwell. You gave yeah. me a waterfall with the qualities of a stairwell. Yeah. I feel comfortable with a B minus here. Okay. Okay. Um Well then I guess we should pick our movie for next time. <laughs> yeah. Um so I think I know what I'm going to pick, but I'm going to, I'm going to go through a process and just see what your reactions are. Cause this is going to color what I pick. Yeah. So when I first did the spreadsheet, uh, we had kind of talked about like, what is this podcast going to be? Um, and we kind of, it, it was somewhat jokingly, but we were like, it would be really funny to have a movie podcast. And we just literally never do anything from the U S. Um, and we've already broken that like mm-hmm. twice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, within three episodes, we've already broken that twice. So I, I was just like, I'm just gonna go and like put in other stuff that I didn't include from my my DVD list because, like, what I was originally doing is like, let me do this concise list th- to some degree of like, here are some especially foreign films. Let me like broaden this out a little bit more now. Yeah. And so I was going through and putting in a lot of my films, which included, or a lot of like my DVDs and Blu-rays, which included some U.S. ones, um, and got to Drive by Nicholas Winding Revin, and that is that is a movie that I think fits with like the premise of this podcast. It is a very yes. aesthetic movie, um, mm-hmm. and so I I brought this up to you, and you had like uh, a fairly strong. I I specifically asked you. What are your thoughts on Nicholas Winding Refn? So, we can do a an episode about any Nicholas Winding Refn movie. I would probably lean toward the ones I've seen, um, but we could do an episode about any Nicholas Winding Refn movie, and it'll be a good episode. We'll have a good conversation. I think we'll enjoy the movie. I'm going to have a gender crisis. Like, there is... <laughs> There is a gender crisis that is like looming over this podcast, and I think if we watch a Refn movie, like I'm just gonna have to like unspool it all, and we're just gonna have to like psychoanalyze me a little bit to like do the podcast. <laughs> so we can do Drive, we can do Only God Forgives, we can do um, Bronson. But, like, you just have to prepare yourself for, like, I'm going to have some feelings that will have nothing to do with the film that we're going to have to unpack on air. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So I, I think we'll probably do it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a part of me that like for our listeners benefit wants to do some Yakuza movies before we get to drive because I see drive very much as like a, a, a Hollywood doing Yakuza. Um, yes. And I think it would be interesting to talk about that, but I don't know if I want to do that right now. But what was happening when I was doing this is, so I put drive and then that's the, the Blu-ray that I actually own. And then I also enjoyed Only God Forgives and The Neon Demon. Um, and what happens whenever I think about Only God Forgives and The Neon Demon is that my brain always immediately goes to Rebels of the Neon God. Mm-hmm. One, because like we have Neon Demon, Only God Forgives. So we got like, we have words in there, right? Yeah. Um, but also because I think especially like Only God Forgives is like pulling on some of the stuff that was actually happening earlier in cinema that something like rebels of the neon God would like better touch on. And also rebels of the neon God is just an incredible, incredible movie. Um, it's like fantastic. And, uh, it was the directorial debut for Tsai Tsai Ming Long. Um, and it's just like fantastic. It's, Mm -hmm. it's an incredible movie. I, I, started watching a download of it and was just like immediately like, Oh my God, this movie fucking rules. Um, also there's definitely some gay stuff that we can talk about it in it. So like just in general, I think this is very much a movie for this podcast and I think of a good one to do early. So, um, yeah, I was like 98% sure that I was going to do rebels of the neon God. And there was like a 2% that was just like, let, let me see how autumn reacts to me talking about Nicholas winding Robin. Do I want to do it earlier? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think so. I think I want to do rebels of the neon God. So we'll, we'll do the rebels other thing. Of the, neon God. the other thing about doing drive is a, when, when we eventually do drive and i don't know if that's the first refin we'll do but i feel like at some point in this podcast we're going to talk about drive because like part of like part of me becoming like a film watcher is just like i spent years and years and years on forums arguing if drive was good or not <laughs> <laughs> like this is just a way that i spent my teenage years um and at some point, if we watch Drive, the very next week, I want to insist, the next week or the week after, like, I'm going to insist that we watch Les Samurai by Jean-Pierre Melville next. And I'm going to be like, this is the movie that made me think that maybe Drive isn't good <laughs> because it's just <laughs> Les Samurai again. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then as we've been watching a couple of Yakuza movies, I'm like, Oh no, Melville was just ripping off Yakuza movies. <laughs> yeah. Um so So yeah, I think we'll get there and I do think Drive will probably be the first that we do. At least if I'm bringing it up because I think it's the one that like I just have stuff to say about Drive as yeah. a movie that I like but then also I'm just like this is just a Yakuza movie. This is just a Yakuza movie. <laughs> Drive is a movie I like and I've I've spent a long time talking about and thinking about, and it would be fun to like do it on the show, especially because it's been 10 years since that movie came out. Um, Only God Forgives would be my other choice for like movie to do first from Refn, just because it's like, I saw that movie when it was in theaters, and uh, remember 
having a fight with my... I went to see it with my stepmom for some reason. I think because I couldn't drive yet. Um, and so she took me. And she was like, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. And I was like, that's the best movie I've ever seen. And so I kind of want to see Only God Forgives again, just for the simple fact of like, I want to know if that just, movie's any good. I'm just like, you being like, I couldn't drive yet. And I'm just like, I had been married for three years. Uh, 2013... 2013 i would be 17 so i could definitely drive at that point i owned a car at that point so i don't know why i saw that movie with my stepmom maybe i was just like hey let's go to a movie and she was like sure the other movie i remember seeing with my stepmom that she hated um was holy motors which i thought i think is incredible (laughs) so yeah but yeah uh, the other thing i was gonna say this this is the other big like the the big sign where my idea of let's do Rebels of the Neon God like further solidified for me is that I actually didn't go because I'm like slightly sick right now. But uh the music box theater in Chicago is reopening, which I'm excited about. Um it's like this art house theater that's literally in walking distance of my apartment. Um and they showed uh, another movie from this director, uh, Goodbye Dragon Inn, and I, I, I was extremely tempted to go see it last night um, mm-hmm. because, like, I haven't seen that one. I love Rebels of the Neon God, and I was just like, I can't, I can't see Goodbye Dragon Inn. Let's just watch Rebels of the Neon God, and then... At some point, maybe we'll do Goodbye Dragon Inn as well. It would be fun to do Dragon Inn before we do Goodbye Dragon Inn. Because Goodbye Dragon Inn is like specifically about a theater, I think, closing. And they're like watching the movie Dragon Inn. Um, oh, yeah, that's cute. So, um, yeah. Do we have um, anything else that we want to talk about? I've... We, this is a very long, this is the next movie we're doing, but... <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. This episode ran a little long. Um, there was a part where we were like 30 minutes in, and I was like, I don't know if we have that much else to say, and somehow we talked No, I another... had the same moment. I had the same moment. I was like, I'm going to bring up like one other thing, and then I think we can just go to, you know, keep this a tight 45. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to podcasting with me. Um... So I'm going to be there um, next month and I'm really excited because um, I had a moment last year in 2020 where I was like, oh my God, I'm COVID is here. COVID is going to like, I'm never going to go see another movie in a theater again in my life. And I'll live my entire life knowing that the last movie I saw in theaters was fucking rise of skywalker (laughs) so i'm very excited to come see you and hopefully like go see movies in like a theater again um that are not (laughs) a rise of skywalker (laughs) i'm like uh daily checking to see if the music box has updated the calendar for next month so that i know what they're showing Um, there's a there's a theater up the street from us that does like um it's like where Nora and I saw Halloween in 2019. Um, they did like a mi- midnight movie of Halloween on Halloween night. And we went and saw that, um, that I really like that theater, but like, I haven't even, I haven't even checked yet if they're reopening. Um, like, I don't, I don't know what, what their plans are yet. So 
I don't know that Nora is at a place yet where she's comfortable going and seeing a movie. So, um, yeah, right now they've only announced one movie for when you're going to be here, which is stand by me. And I don't know if stand by that doesn't feel like it. (laughs) Christ. Talk about picking a movie that I hate as much as, uh, rise of Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It just, it really doesn't feel like it. Um, Stand by me does feel like a movie that you pick when your business has been closed for a year and you need to get butts in seats. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like right after you leave, they're showing Carrie, which would be significantly better than Stand by Me. I think. I but... need to. <sighs> Fuck. I need to put some Brian De Palma movies on here because Brian De Palma is my absolute favorite like movie director who's an absolute sicko. <laughs> just like a disgusting person but like his movies are so good and his movies are good because they're about how he's a disgusting person carrie is so good um yeah i i think the the last movie i i saw in theaters may have been rise of skywalker um but one of the ones shortly before that that i remember it wasn't that short but uh connor and i went to a double feature of police story one and two and Mm -hmm. literally talking in between the intermission about ghost in the shell standalone complex is why we decided to start a podcast (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why we were talking i think it was because of the police thing and we were like oh yeah we both like this anime about cyber police um and how it's kind of weird having stuff that you really like be about police um yeah, and, and we decided to do a podcast, so, you know. Um, well, Music Box of... Theater spawned Ghost Divers and, and will become a part of <laughs> the beginning of Ornate Stairwells. Speaking of uh, Ghost Divers, Nia, where can people find you online? Uh, people can find me at Fox Mom Nia on Twitter and, of course, listen to my other podcast, Ghost Divers, on the Export Audio Network. Um, it's an anime podcast. We talk about more than just Ghost in the Shell. I feel like I should clarify that since it's called Ghost Divers. Uh, <laughs> currently, it's it's Evangelion. If you go listen to it, but um, yeah, we're doing um, Ray Earth next. You're joining us for Ray Earth. I'm joining you for Ray Earth. Um, oh, I just realized something weird. Uh, so I'm. I'm Autumn. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find all my other podcasts at exportodd.io. Pretty soon there, I will have two new podcasts. One we've already talked about will be a monthly patron-exclusive $5 tier Godzilla podcast. Me and Nora are going to watch fucking Godzilla movies and talk about them once a month. Uh, We got the Gojira episode coming up soon. We're... We're going to talk about Gojira first, and then we might jump around a little bit to talk about, like, 1933 King Kong and maybe, like, the Beast of 20,000 Fathoms. But for the most part, I think we're just going to progress through, like, Godzilla movies as they happen in release order, because I think that's the most interesting way to talk about that franchise. So, yeah, um, the other podcast uh, that's going to start soon... Um, I don't think I can talk about on will be announced soon. And I don't think I can talk about it here because this might go out before that other podcast gets announced. 
but I think I can talk about it on Ghost Divers because Ghost Divers has such a long lead time that the oh, podcast yeah. will already be like a couple weeks in. <laughs> yeah. By the time. <laughs> so I look forward to that. I've got a new podcast coming soon. And then, yeah, Godzilla podcast will be patron exclusive $5 export odd.io. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and if you if you're listening to this when it goes out to the the Patreon feed, um, it'll be next week. But if you're listening to this when it goes out to the public feed, it would have been like I think yesterday that I am guesting on swim fans to talk about Sonatine, probably my favorite film ever. Um, so you know, go listen to my episode. Don't listen to any other episodes by them. No, it's a great <laughs> podcast. Um, I I would say. It has gotten better, so I don't know if I would recommend going back to the very beginning. Um, I I don't e- I think it might be hard to find some of the first episodes. I think they have like scrubbed them from the internet. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, podcasts are rough sometimes when you start, especially if it's your very first podcast. So um, we had a great conversation, and I definitely just steamrolled them with like, "This is my favorite movie." I have uh, thought about it for many many years let me just like full-on say everything and then you all can just be like oh yeah yeah that's what that movie is (laughs) (laughs) so sorry alex josh and craig um but also i think it was a good episode because i'm i'm a good podcaster (laughs) i'm really glad because um the like we were watching movies together before we were going to do a podcast about movies. Um, and like, if you had not been, if you, we watched Sonatina together because you knew you were going to be on swim fans. If it were not for that. And if we had watched Sonatina together, I feel like, like you would have strong armed me into starting the same, the podcast that very same night. And that would have been a really bad first episode as you were just like, this is my favorite movie ever. And I'm like, there was a lot to think about. Let me like chew through this live on air. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, there, there, like while we were watching the movie, I was like, I know that I could full on like, just really get into everything that I think about this movie and just like really, really overwhelm you. And so I was Mm -hmm. just like, Oh yeah, you're responding to like, this is kind of gay. Let me just like focus on that, that one aspect of it. (laughs) 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 Um, Knowing that you would then have time to chew through it. And then you could listen to the swim fans episode where I just completely steamroll three of my other friends. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot to that movie and i don't think i don't think i could have done a podcast about it like immediately afterward <laughs> it's a good fucking movie though it's everyone should watch movie. it it's a good fucking movie we might do it well, on this podcast at some point yeah i feel like we should i was thinking about it today i was like should that be our like the one year episode is like I think I also suggested this for the third man. I think maybe like when we hit one year of this podcast, we should circle back and do Sonatine and the third man as like, here are the things that we watched right before the podcast started. Yeah. So, I mean, the the one other movie we watched that's like looming in the distance is battles without, but I think mm-hmm. we might do a series of all five battles without for ghost divers. So maybe, maybe you'll just be on for that. 
I was going to say, I was like, I don't know that I want to do a podcast about Battles Without, but I do want to do a podcast about Battles Without 2 and perhaps some subsequent movies. But like, much as I really, 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 really liked the first Battle Without, Battles Without movie, I think maybe it's like you and I have talked about it to the point where I'm like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, that's just like a movie that you and I talked about too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will just say it's a it's a movie that starts with two men drinking each other's blood and then looking at each other longingly uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of the movie. Um I, I won't go into further spoilers, but uh, there's a there's a lot of longing in that movie that again starts with two men drinking each other's blood. <laughs> Just really want to emphasize that on this podcast that started with us watching a movie where two women drink each other's blood. <laughs> it's a dumb fucking podcast. We need to t- wrap this up. We're at yep. an hour thirty. Who let this happen? Okakoro is real. <laughs> I forgot the sign off. I thought you were just saying that for no reason. <laughs> Okakoro is real. Okakoro is real.
like capes back on the rack. Bella Lugos is dead, the bats have left the bell tower. The victims have been bled, bed, velvet lines, the black box. Bella Lugos is dead, 